like, no, I'm just, it doesn't always sound like it when you're listening back to the podcast. But when it comes to editing the transition music that I'll put in or the, the opener, I'm very, very specific and particular about how it feels, mm-hmm. right? It's very much a, a, a feeling for me because I want the podcast to feel laid back. And, and, and you know, while we do put forth like information and I do feel like our information is useful and, and um, helpful and Im- important information for people that want to make media, I also don't want it to feel like it's overbearing or like the podcast is really shoving shit down your throat. Yeah. So it, for me, it's I, I spend a lot of time ironing out exactly when to fade in our our like actual talking versus fading it out. And I was so upset with myself. There's an episode that uh, came out. I believe it was the cinematography episode where uh, we lost like the last five or six minutes of the audio just from something. I'm pretty sure I told you this. Um, I don't remember. Uh, and I tried my best to like fix it, but we were in the middle of recommendations and luckily I'd gotten to my recommendation, but I was in the middle of talking about mine and then we just lost the rest of the audio. I don't know if it was a problem uh. from like the hardware or if it was a software problem or if when I was copying it over, I ejected my drive too early and then it didn't get everything and it sounded like I did. And so I was, I was really upset because when I went back to to edit it it was it, the cut to me sounded really awkward and it, and it wasn't up to standard of what everything else was for the podcast and so um you know just like a come to come to terms moment of just like you know we're gonna have mess ups and, mm-hmm. and that's okay uh but yeah i'm i love doing this i wanted to, to text you this uh the other day but then we were busy talking about like logistics and i didn't want to like break that but like Thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. Seriously? Seriously. I feel like it's not. I'm not doing anything. It's so much fun. This is the most fun I've had. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm having fun and I love doing this. I just feel like, well, because I have a poor self image. (laughs) So I'm just like, everything I do is crap. And I feel so bad for Taylor for putting up with me. No, you've done nothing but add substance to this podcast. Eh. Absolutely. And we always make fun of each other, and you're a sack of shit. But yeah, you're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but but for real, thank you so much for doing this with me. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. I love working with you, and we need to work on more projects together. Well, after that heartfelt moment, um, <laughs> fuck you. You're a bitch. <laughs> and uh, let's get back to our typical uh, content. So right. <laughs> well, this is Media for the Intellectually Impoverished. I'm Taylor. I'm Randy. And uh, together, this is the podcast that... Enriches your mediocre lives. Woohoo! We're so good at that now. Yeah. We always clap afterwards like it's an accomplishment that we do our own intro. Yeah, that we know how to do our own <laughs> intro. We know our own slogan. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this this week is uh, hopefully we're putting this out. No, not hopefully. We, we are. will. This is the first episode back from our Christmas break. So we took a Christmas break because we love our family and we love our friends and we want to spend time with them and also like. School's difficult, you know? Yeah. And you need just a little break. You just need a little break. And that's okay. And uh, It's always good to give yourself a break. Yeah. And a well-deserved break. Yeah, we've, you know? we've pumped out like eight to ten episodes mm-hmm. uh, in two months. And three months. We've been recording for three months now. And uh, wow, we've been recording for three months. Doesn't feel like it, does it? No, it doesn't. I was just talking, going off topic again. I was just talking to my dad this morning about um, improv and he asked me when was the last time that I went to an improv show, and the last time I went to an improv show, I went with them. That was over a year ago. Oh, man. 
for those of you who, who wish to know, uh, I am in an improv group here at our undisclosed university. Um, and I, you know, I spend a lot of time doing improv and that's one of the things that I, that I love doing. I love acting and I love improv and I love the people there. And so we would put on, uh, bi-monthly shows. So we didn't, twice a month we would put on a show like every other Friday, but, um, uh, I digress to, we decided that today would be just a really easy sort of episode because this is the last one that we're recording before we go on our break. And like we said, we wanted to just take a break and we've been, it's, you know, we've been doing all of our college finals and. It's going to be a chill session. It's not yeah. going to be so much as information. It's going to be a recommendations with a little bit of info sprinkled in. Yeah, you know, so we're going to be talking about our favorite pieces of media, which is exciting because I, I, I was thinking about it like this is the point when you like we've been doing this for a little bit and you guys have kind of gotten to know us and. Um, our tastes in certain things and what we value as as artists and um, like now you're going to see what pieces of media sort of inspired us and why these things are what we value and so I'm excited to to share this with all, all y'all and like I said before we started recording I've been waiting for somebody to give me the chance to talk about my topic and y'all made a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, you go first. You're so excited? Yeah, I'm you're excited. So, you're so excited. This Do is it. gonna be long. I'm just letting you know to oh, buckle boy. in. Last year, one of my friends had given me a Stephen King book called Elevation, and I fell in love with it. And ever since then, I've been collecting more Stephen King books and reading them. Great author. If you don't know who he is. You know who he is. I mean, like everybody, <laughs> everybody's heard of Stephen King. He's the horror genre genius when yeah, it the, comes the quintessential. to Yeah, when it comes to horror uh, writings, when it comes to novels and books and those things. And honestly, uh, a good chunk of his writings are so popular that they've become uh, film adaptations, films and television shows. So the one that I want to talk about, the most recent book that I finished, is eleven twenty two sixty three. You know that date. 1963? 1963. The assassination of JFK. That's the one. Yeah. That's <laughs> that the... was way before the Cold War. <laughs> was it, though? The Cold War didn't start to the 80s. Really? No. Wow, I'm so bad at history. I didn't history. think. I'm really bad at history. Well, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not great at history you know either. What? I hey, probably Siri. got that wrong. When was the Cold War? It happened from 1947 to 1991. Oh, it was in the middle of the Cold War. Thank you. There Thank you, you. I am an idiot, but so are you. Yeah. Anyway, so it's it's great. So the thing about me is I love time travel. I love films and books and any kind of media that discusses it. I love astronomy and I love the the science that goes behind it. Do I ever think one day we'll be able to time travel? I don't really think so, but it's great to think about. I just don't think we have the capacity to understand all of the mathematics and the just because I think to time travel you need to understand infinity and what time actually is and time is just a concept that we created so we don't get lost and we can keep track of different things anyways so 19 uh, I didn't write my synopsis but I'm gonna try and do a real quick one oh I didn't write synopsis either oh yeah. we're gonna have a fun this time this is gonna be real good <laughs> okay so it's about this English teacher who finds a wormhole or some kind of portal that takes him back to this exact day 
1958. And he can stay there as long as he wants, and as soon as he goes back through the portal, it's only two minutes later in his time. So the person who owns the, the diner where he finds this wormhole gives him the task of going back and stopping the JFK assassination. And that's the entire book, is him going back. The book is 800 pages long, and I'm so glad that I finished it. I'll love it when I finish a nice long book. I can't, I haven't finished a, a, a book in, in, in a long time. Like it's been, it, well, you know what happened? It was high school. Cause high you, school really kicks it out of you. Because I remember when I was a kid, I read books. I could down a book in a day. All the time. But then like once you have to start reading books for for school, even good books, it's like now that it's homework or it's a chore, like now I don't want to do it. And then like I just stopped reading because and I started doing other things. Not to say that the other things I was doing was necessarily bad. Like I traded reading for practicing instruments and, um, you know, learning how to code. I've learned a little bit of code when I was in high school. Um, but I really never got back into it, even until about my senior year. At an amazing English teacher my senior year um, who assigned all of the best books like Frankenstein and um, that was Heart a of Dark. One. So good. One of my favorites, Heart of Darkness, and a few more. I don't remember the specifics. I remember I read H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man. It's a good one. But it was like just having to get back in. Like it was another paradigm shift because mm -hmm. I had a paradigm shift because my freshman year I had a terrible English teacher who assigned really dumb books that I didn't like. And some of them were like, okay, but there was stuff like, have you ever heard of Siddhartha? Mm -mm. It's like the story of this guy trying to find the Buddha. And it's really surreal and, and really, I don't know how to put it. All I remember is there's a scene in the book when he's, the main character is walking down a path and like throwing his consciousness into things that he sees. And he throws his consciousness into the carcass of a rabbit on the side of the road that's being pecked at by vultures. I remember being a little 14-year-old and being like, why am I reading this? Yeah. This is not for children. Mm -hmm. um, it really is about the teachers that you have in high school. I feel like they can really break or make a subject for you. I had great math teachers all throughout high school, and I love math, and I think that's a big thing about people who don't like math. You've had bad teachers. Same thing goes for reading and writing. I think anyone can love reading and writing because there's so many different genres out there and there's so many different styles. It's just the teachers and the professors that you had have pushed their styles and their genre, favorite genres onto you. And so you start to think that's all that's out there and it's and you think it's no longer for you mm -hmm. and you stop trying. Same thing with me when I was in middle school and elementary school, loved reading. I would read a book a week, a couple of days, always went to the library, but high school was a really a, a time when it really like broke for me when I didn't want to read anymore because it was so forced and I feel like that can happen with anything even today in the classes that we're taking where some of them we have to watch a bunch of films not saying that watching films is hard it's not but when you have to do it for so long and they're not films that you really want to watch you have to watch them to pick out specific styles and pick out specific meanings behind them it gets repetitive and it you just kind of lose that love for it just a little bit it's not that you're gonna hate it forever but I, I do get that there's a bit of disconnect that can come from that yeah you know studying any subject I think there's a, a bit of a disconnect there even you know like I was talking about earlier like I'm really particular about the podcast but there are even times when I'm like ugh, I'm still doing a podcast 
and we're only, we've only been doing it for a, a short little while, but like there are those sessions that we, we come and record where we're just like, don't we like yeah. it's not that we don't want to be here. No, it's we really enjoy doing this and we really want to keep doing this, but it's just like now that it's become um published and, and and we've got a schedule to it like and, and now it's that it's become sort of work sometimes it's difficult to get down here and, and sit down and or and edit or sit down and, and do a good recording session and keep that energy high up you know for the for the whole session see i think that's the difference that it takes is when it goes from being fun to being work when it goes to watching it because I like it to I need to watch it because it's a grade or I love talking with my friends and making a podcast too. I have to make a podcast because of whatever reasons or I have to do it when it changes from being something that you purely enjoy and are passionate about to you feel like you have to do it now because it's what you've set out to do and it's now work. And I feel like I, I think you can apply this to any kind of career that you have I feel like there always comes a time you have to truly, truly love something and truly be passionate about it to not lose that connection with it. And that's and that's something that our professors here tell us all of the time. Go into a field that you just love because there will be times when you get tired of it. But if you still have that underlying foundation of love and passion for it, you won't get burnt out. Yeah. And What's difficult for me is I, growing up, I, we were talking about teachers. I never really had a good art teacher that I really connected with, or I never really felt like my art teachers really cared about me or my art. And I didn't, like, I didn't realize that art was something that I was passionate about until I was much, much older. Um, so if I, I didn't start you know, most kids start drawing when they're like in the fourth grade and, and they, they figure out the, the basics of drawing by the time they're maybe in high school or if, if, if they're self-taught, you know, maybe a little bit later. But I didn't start drawing until midway through high school when I was a sophomore or, or a junior. And uh, I, I fell so far behind that curve of just the fundamentals of like, you know, how do I draw a line or, or this certain way? And now that I've realized that what I want to do is art design and, and, and designing for movie and concept design um, for games and movies, I feel so, so discouraged because I see my peers around me so far ahead of me yeah. and seeing that and being like, I don't know how to catch up and, but I do. And, it, and it's, and it comes down to, to practicing and, and working at it and, and, doing that and lately like I've I've hit a rut where like I don't feel like there's a whole lot of art that I'm producing that is of substance or, or any good or anything like that and so you know I find it hard to put out things that I'm proud of like I I would post on my Instagram usually I'll post a, a about a photo every other week or, or a week or so of just like a piece that I'm, I'm proud of of the week so I can keep that motivation up when people will, will comment on it and like it or when people see my art I do I feel really encouraged by that um by that community of people that, that are that are like yes your art is it is good and I'm seeing improvement and it's really nice to have that but lately I like I haven't been practicing and so like and it shows it shows in my personal art and it shows in the, like when I sit down to do it and I'm like oh man like I I just feel the the I haven't gained the muscle memory that I need to catch up yet. And so 
sometimes it's difficult for me to to see myself working in the field that I really am passionate about. I have to remind myself that even some of the greats, like Roger Williams, who was one of the world's best animators, he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He He led the animation on that, and his animations are incredible. He didn't start animating until early adulthood. So, honestly, if that's what it takes, I'm going to do it. It just comes down to a matter of me sitting down and actually doing it. And, like, what is stopping me from doing it? And how can I get around those things? Yeah, let that be advice to everybody out there. Life's not a competition. Life's not who gets there first. And it's not about who's behind. Everybody's on their own path. Everybody's doing their own things at their own pace. And if you're a little behind or if you are ahead, I don't know how you feel ahead. I don't think there's anyone out there who feels like they're ahead of the game. <laughs> I'm Maybe sure. they are. I'm sure there's someone out there who's like, I am ahead of the game and crushing eggs. I am the world's best egg crusher. Egg crusher. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not a competition. So let that be just a, a sense of confidence building i guess just don't don't let it get to you don't don't let that discouragement or that that feeling that you're behind get to you because there is no such thing as behind especially now in the this day and age with covid and everything there's no behind everybody's moving at their own pace especially in art and in in media um there there is no behind because art in and of itself is expressive and, and whatever you can produce at that current time is your art yeah whether or not you feel like it's your best work is up to you but it is your art continue you were talking back to the book that i was talking about so there's a couple things that i want to touch on about it the first thing that i'll say is throughout the book because there's a lot of time travel because he does go back and he has to live through five years in the past so he starts off in 1958 and he has to live all the way up until 1963 to stop the assassination a lot of life happens in there. He falls in love. He he gets a teaching job in Texas. Probably somewhere near Dallas, I would assume. Somewhere near Dallas, but it's outside of Dallas. It's, I want to say, it's not Judy. What is it, Jody? Is it Jody, Texas? Oh, I got it. It's Jody, Texas. <laughs> I think it's Jody. Anyways, so as he's living throughout this time, he sees a lot of harmonies, what he calls harmonies. So it's when the past resonates with itself. And what we call today like coincidences or when we have deja vu, when something we see has seemed to happen already. He notices this a lot since he's coming from the future back to the past. So a lot of the things that will cross over are names of people and the things that they do, their careers, songs. What else? There's like cars and things like this. He sees these repeating themselves as he's living through these five years. So a car that he sees at the very beginning when he first comes into this this old world, he sees this car. At the very end of it, he sees that car again, and it holds a big meaning, which I won't go into. But there's a lot of these harmonies he talks about. Later, we discover that these harmonies are actually the timelines getting twisted and crossing each other. I love... Stephen King is such a brilliant mind. And I, I think this is such a good book for those who love time travel like myself because he explains it so well. Not that he goes into detail and makes it confusing. He He's a very like surface level when it comes to talking about it, but still the way he explains it makes sense. And I think that's a, a problem that a lot of people have when it comes to making uh, books or movies and it comes to time travel. There's a lot of inconsistencies. And he 
completely does the opposite of that by repeating things over and over again so that you you can't find inconsistencies, I feel like. Maybe I need to read it again to see if there are any. But anyways, we, we discovered that these harmonies are actually just the timelines overlapping each other, and him being there is causing distress to time. Because of this book, I came up with theory. I have a theory. Like, I want to make an academic like theory. You want to make a, a scientific theory here on media for the intro. This just in. This Rand <laughs> Randaloni has come up with a scientific theory here on media for the intellectually impoverished. Hear it first. It's based on Stephen King, obviously, and his interpretation of time travel and how it works. So throughout the book, he goes back in time and he's trying to stop JFK. Not only is he trying to stop the assassination of JFK. I know I said stop JFK. He's trying to stop the assassination of JFK. Not only this, he's also trying to save one of his friends who was horribly disfigured when he was a child. And so he's trying to stop that from happening. And as he gets closer and closer to stopping this huge event, time tries to stop him. So things get in his way. As he's driving, his car breaks down. As he's walking there, a tree falls like in front of him and almost kills him. When he gets there, his gun doesn't work. Well, as he's like about to stop the person that's going to disfigure him, another guy comes in and, and stops him and like beats him up. So, the, so my theory, time. <laughs> trying to figure out how I can say it the simplest way to get it easily across. Time is both a set path and can be changed. And so you need to get both of these ideas in your head. Time is already set. Everything that's going to happen has already happened. But there, you can change it. I believe that you can change it. And here's the thing about how you change it. When something isn't going your way, when you have a bad day, when you wake up in the morning and it seems like just everything is against you, the world is against you, your your coffee is cold, your, your, your car breaks down, you, you get to work and your coworkers are yelling at you, all these things. The world's just beating you down. Those are the days that you can't give up because that's time trying to stop you from changing it. Does that make sense? My mind has exploded. Does it make sense? Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I think, and so I think time, the universe, whatever's controlling it, whether you want it to be God or some other deity or just the universe itself, it has a set path. But when you are having those bad days, it's trying to stop you from making a big change. It's trying to stop you from putting time off course, putting your timeline off course. So those are the days that I say you shouldn't stop. Keep going and achieve what you want to achieve. Do what you had set out to do that day because you will be changing time. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Randaloni's epic time thought hypothesis. Which honestly sounds pretty darn cool. Right? And it's like, I'm changing time. Yeah. Just by, you know, toughing it out. Yeah. That's that's it. I remember um, the only time travel book that I ever read was, I was obsessed with this sci-fi author from the 90s named William Slater. Mm -hmm. uh, and I read a bunch of his books. And I remember I just looked up the name of it. This one was my favorite. I read it three or four times. It was called Strange Attractors. Okay. It was... Really dumb. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved all of his sci-fi stuff. Um, there was that one, and there was one about uh, a boy that finds a machine that'll clone himself, and then he sends his clone to school instead of him. 
but Strange Attractors was about this guy that just finds a time travel device. And the only scenes that I remember is uh, it was the scientist that made it and then an evil scientist that was like the alternate timeline version of the good scientist was trying to obtain the time travel device. And I just remember that they would go really, really far back in time just after the dinosaurs died and chill out in this RV that they brought back there. And then at one point they went super far in the future and there was an iceberg that had moved. And that's what I remember. Wow. Nice. <laughs> nice. It was a fun book. When I was a kid, I, I mean, like I said, I read a lot. And the, the, I read probably six or seven of that guy's books. And um, he had some interesting ideas. And, you know, they're, they're like young adult novels. So mm -hmm. they're not anything like groundbreaking. But they were good. So I will give pause to this theory. Because if you do read the book, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But if you do read the book, the the changes that he makes don't go to plan. And I won't say how they don't go to plan, but they just don't go to plan. He doesn't get out of it what he wants to get out of it. So I, I take this as a caution. I personally believe that on those days, like I was saying, that are just bad days, I say keep going. I say show time who's boss. I say you make the world what you want it to be. But because this is based off of Stephen King's idea, in his version of it, it doesn't go to plan. So time is already on a set course and it has what it thinks is its own perfect version of how the world should run. And if you try to change it, it's not, it most likely won't end well for you is how you can interpret it if you read his book and his ideas of it. I'm, I'm taking that out. On those bad days, just keep going. Change time. Show them who's boss. <laughs> I want to talk about my favorite thing now, or one of them. Yes, go ahead. So the biggest number one thing that is my favorite i'm talking about video games because uh you don't read books i don't read no books if anybody wants to get me a christmas gift by the way i know when this comes out christmas is over but i would like stephen king books give me, uh you can give me video games you can give me video games <laughs> no buy us podcasting equipment or subscribe to our patreon which we don't have <laughs> <laughs> it'll be a joke and then we'll, we'll have a patreon by the time this one comes out and then it'll be like oh wait a minute Wait a, Wait a minute. Reverse psychology. Uh, no, I want to talk about Kingdom Hearts. Ooh, okay. Which is my number one favorite game series of all time, pretty much in the sense that it's like, one, it's super nostalgic for me because I played it when I was a kid, and two, I also just love the series anyway. But brief synopsis, a kid is chosen to wield a mystical weapon named the Keyblade that can open any lock and um, unlock the hearts of people. Once his home world is destroyed, he's sent off into different worlds where he meets up with various Disney characters in an attempt to find his lost best friends. You say Disney? I did say Disney. I love Disney. Yeah. Have you never heard of Kingdom Hearts? I've heard of Kingdom Hearts. You never played it. You haven't? Oh, it's so good. So One good. One or two. So the reason that I think the game is, is so great is because it blends Disney and Final Fantasy, which are two of my favorite things, the best things in the world to me. Let me talk about how this came to be, because it sounds really weird when you think about it, right? Disney and Final Fantasy. It does seem like a strange yeah. matchup. And basically what happened is, is Mario 64 came out, right? 
long time ago, long before Kingdom Hearts ended up coming out. But Mario 64 came out, and people at Square Enix were like, man, I really want to create a 3D action game like that, but the only thing that's really going to sell is a big name, like something that Disney has. Well, at the time, Square Enix Japan and Disney Japan were in the same studio, in the same building. So on a happenstance elevator ride, the producer named Shinji Hashimoto pitched the idea to a Disney executive that happened to be on the elevator at the time. And it worked. That's amazing. Yeah. That's why you always got to be prepared. Yeah, you have to have an elevator pitch. You need yeah. to have, An elevator pitch is a 30, 45 second pitch of whatever your media or whatever your piece of art or whatever you're trying to promote is, right? So if you can boil it down to the basics, most interesting basics, the pull, your demographic in about 30 seconds or so, that's an elevator pitch, and that's what you want, and it worked. That's incredible. I love these kinds of stories. Yeah, so it it only exists because of happenstance, mm -hmm. right? So after that, they, they brought on a few people um, to help write it, a couple of Final Fantasy writers, um, as well as the, the director of the game is, is Tetsuya Nomura, who is actually an uh, art designer for another game I'm going to be talking about in a little bit which is Final Fantasy related, if you didn't tell. The reason that I think this game does really well is because it draws off of the Final Fantasy aesthetic, but also brings this 3D action to life. So in Final Fantasy, the classic Final Fantasies, you have um, turn-based battles, right? So enemies attack at one time, and then you take your turn and you attack. And so you've got the bar that's it's attack, magic, item, flee, or, or whatever. Well, they have that in Kingdom Hearts. On the bottom left corner, you have these this command bars and the way that you interact with the world or, or battle is by using these different commands so you you use the d-pad to select which command you want to do whether it be attack or casting a magic and then you hit that hit the accept button and then the the main character does that action which was really really strange but really revolutionary because it's a different style of gameplay that no one else had no one was really doing live action turn-based combat so it's it's a really weird mixture but it fits together just well enough even you know as the series has progressed they they've done different things to make it easier to play or more advanced and feel flowier because the very first game does feel pretty choppy to some extent but i still love it so much <laughs> They another thing that they did they did they wanted the Disney parts to feel Disney so they they didn't want them to feel like we're recreating Disney they wanted to feel like Disney was here this is Disney this is Disney so they have about sixty five to eighty percent of the original voice actors reprise their roles in that's the incredible video game. yeah many many of the characters reprise their roles um, in the most recent installment Kingdom Hearts three um they have a frozen world in which all of the actors and actresses from frozen reprise their roles of the main cast like jonathan groff and uh who plays josh gad plays olaf um oh, yeah mm -hmm. all of those people uh, as well as a big hero six world in which all of the characters are reprising their roles it's it's stuff like that like that little nitpicky like we want this world to feel real mm -hmm. uh so they hire the people that 
play those voice actors or they, they go out of their way to find those people if they can afford them or if the people will take the jobs, they'll do it. So it's great. So it's such a like a like a heartfelt touch. But on top of that, it's not a kid's game necessarily. I mean, it is a kid's game, but in the same way that Final Fantasy is a kid's game in that it's not a primitive story. It's got layers to it, and it's got certain things, and, and it's and it's a complicated story. It is convoluted, and it is a little bit hokey because it is pandered towards children. But there's like deeper like themes there's within deeper, it. There's themes within it. There's um, lore within it. Oh, lore. Um, and it's just it's it's not all just kids' games. One of the, the things that Kingdom Hearts is known for is like secret boss fights, and particularly difficult boss fights. So the the main villain in Final Fantasy VII, uh, his name is Sephiroth, and he is considered the biggest bad in video gaming history, pretty much, because he basically turns himself into a god and then attacks the... You have to kill him as a god, and it's crazy. But you can fight him in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He's got so many health bars that the, the way the health bars work in that game... Oh, no. Every health bar, it's layered on top of each other. So you have like uh, a dark green one and then like a light green one and like an a orange one, blue one, and then like a purple one, right? He's got so many health bars that they ran out of colors to use on the health bars. So the first time, the first entire health bar that you're hitting him, it doesn't look like you're doing any damage. That's incredible. Yeah. So and you can fight makes me want to die <laughs> you can fight uh the rock titan and the ice titan from hercules uh wait a minute wait a minute they have hercules yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm pretty sure danny devito reprises his role in the original i'm gonna clip the mic no he doesn't yeah in the original i'm going to cry in kingdom hearts one danny devito comes back to voice Phil. Kingdom Hearts 2, I don't believe he... I don't remember he, if he has very many lines, but I'm pretty sure he does. In Kingdom Hearts 3, he doesn't. Oh, but the first two, he Danny, does. come on. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's just stuff, I have tears in my eyes. Tears, I love Hercules so much. Yeah, it's super That's fun. That's incredible. I have to play it now. You do. Just because you need of to play Phil. It. They have them all on the PlayStation 4, a console of which you own. I own that! Yeah, you can buy an, a bundle that has literally every single Kingdom Hearts game. For how much? I think it's it was on sale for Black Friday for like 30, 40 bucks, which is like six games for 40 bucks. Something like that. Five or six games for 40 bucks. Yeah, no, the reason that I love the games, it it just has this nostalgia because when I was a kid, those, that was like the first game I remember playing as a kid and really beating was... I just... Because it's nostalgic for me. like, And I think that's a big part of... You know, things being people's favorites is just like, you know, when you picked it up, it doesn't necessarily have to be the best game in the world or the or the most expensive production. It just has to be something that like you love and why you love it is, is up to you. And anyone can have influences from anywhere. It, what matters is that like you make your things with substance from that point on. My voice cracked. I am not a child, I swear. Nostalgia is a very powerful force. I mean, I've just recently, because I, I had to write a paper, I recently realized how nostalgic people of, are of the 90s. So many movies right now are being rebooted and remade that were made in the 90s, and I just think it's insane. Like what? Like 
Point Break is just an example of Have you ever seen Point Break? Yeah. I had to watch it for a class. Really good. One of it's what started Keanu Reeves onto his life of fame. It's a really good movie. There, there's some other ones that I, I can't think of off the top of my head right now, but the 90s is such a nostalgic time. Even for people, I feel like even for me, when I was, wasn't was alive during the 90s, I still look back and it just has this like fuzzy glow around it. It's just a nice, it was because it was before 9-11. <laughs> 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 it was b- before the world went to crap. Yeah, I don't know. You know, the turn of the century was a, big time for multiple reasons yeah um so it, it makes sense that like the, the media from before that turn of the century is going to have a different and i guess nostalgic feel because the world was different, different yeah the people had different values before that before 9 11 you didn't have to like like go through metal detectors as tsa, TSA yeah. stuff didn't really wasn't as strict or wasn't as big so it's and it's weird to me that my parents were like yeah i was on a flight back in the time where we didn't have to do that. And I was like, I can't picture an airport without mile-long lines waiting to get through the TSA. Do you realize that iPhones are, like, a thing that was invented in our time? Yeah. Like, I can't... Because they started gaining popularity by the time I realized what a phone was. I want to say early middle school maybe like sixth grade mm-hmm. was 06, when they, 07. yeah when they started getting really popular i can't imagine a world without iphones or ipads or macs or anything like that yeah and you know there was a time before pieces of media like big pieces of media like the avengers series we were born during all of that and those are quite substantial pieces of media in today's culture like Star Wars, our parents. That was their big thing with Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. And, um, my dad says he still remembers waiting in line on a hot summer day, or maybe it was my mom. One of my parents was <laughs> waiting in line on a hot summer day like with a line around the corner to go see one of the Star Wars movies, original airings. So it's just, you know, it. sometimes we forget that things are constantly being made and the world is constantly, constantly changing. changing. As a person who doesn't like change, it's very nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. And I can't... I was talking to somebody else earlier today about this. Uh, just, again, to bring up the global pandemic that we're in. The world's never going to be the same after this. No, this is a big turning point. But we get to see the change. So this will be the first time that we are a part of the change. We'll know the before and we'll know the after. Because I feel like as we are right now, we only know the after. We only know the world of the 2000s, you know? After this, we're going to know what pre-COVID was like and we'll know what post-COVID was like. But the babies that are being born today, I have a couple of cousins who are pregnant and they got some babies coming and I'm excited. But they're not going to know what the world was like before COVID and it, it really hurts my brain. Yeah. I mean, I think that handshakes are probably just going to go away. away. I don't think people are going to shake hands anymore. And this is... I mean, I could be completely wrong here, but I it, it's just like my personal feelings. I haven't shaken hands with someone and not felt awkward about the amount of germs I'm trans- transmitting since early March. I've been doing fist bumps, elbow bumps, forearm bumps, just like like knocking your hands together. But like I haven't formally shaken someone's hand. And that's such a that was such a big part of 
of specifically like southern culture it's yeah. a really really big part of our culture yeah also hugging and like when you somebody that you already know after because you know handshake is when you're getting to know somebody for the first time but after you know them i mean maybe not so much for males but for females it's it's hugging or when you're meeting uh, like f- relatives and things like that, you go up and you give them a-, a quick hug or like a kiss on the cheek or something. You don't do that anymore. Yeah, it's so strange. And it, and and people are like, oh, when things get back to normal, like it's the, never it, getting back. To there's normal. no normal because the world has changed. Mm-hmm. This is a turning point in in our in our world. And I think that, um, to, you know, to tie it back to what we talk about, like I think our media needs to to show that, and our, our media is going to show that because as artists, you. It's our job to reflect the reality of the world outward um, to the masses. And so... Uh, I can't wait until the movies... Like you just said, like the Avengers. Until the Avengers are nostalgic. Like when we are older and have kids and they're like, that was our thing. What thing are they going to have? I just... I can't wait. Time. I love time. For a person who loves time and time travel so much, I really don't like change. You know that? There's a theory that if time travel existed, we would have figured it out by now. Oh, no. If time travel existed, we would see it today. Like, because we would go to the past. So, if time travel is invented in the future, we'd have time travelers today, which... I mean, there are people who claim to be, but I haven't seen one who's actually able to accurately predict the future consistently. And there's always the question of, like, what if they are from the future? And they changed it. And the future was changed, and, and so now their thing is wrong. So maybe, you know, who knows? But there's also the theory that you can't physically travel back into the past because that would entail, you know, butterfly effect and changing things. But you could feasibly travel to the future, but you could never go back to your time. Exactly. So there's the thought that, like, maybe we'll see someone pop up that's like, I did it. What year is it? I don't know. Well, we won't see it. You don't know that? Because, no, but if you're saying that if they are going to travel to the future, somebody from our past is not going to be able to figure out how to come to us. He's not going to want to come to us. Yeah. I think Matt Gronig from The Simpsons. Oh, 100%. 100%. If anyone's a time traveler, it's Matt it's Gronig. It's him. 100%. Yeah. Have you seen the comparisons of, like, The Simpsons versus reality? Yeah. There's a scene... There's the Donald Trump becoming president. President, mm-hmm. well, that's one. And then there's a scene, almost shot for shot, tit for tat, but animated twenty years prior of Donald Trump coming down an escalator and waving yep. to the people. It is terrifyingly accurate. I love how recently people have been posting about uh, a, a scene from the Symptoms, a Simpsons. That shows, I think, January first, twenty twenty one, and the world's on fire. Yeah. There's yeah. also a. Um, so in, in his other show, Futurama, there's little sort of, what are those things called on the bottom of a screen? The infographics on news. They they have one of those on the TV every time the the title goes up, right? And one of them says, all time travel to the year 2020 is strictly prohibited. I love that. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's just, it's stuff like that. I don't know if that one came out this year and he was playing on that joke or or what happened, but uh, heckin', it's just stuff. I really hope he was playing on that joke, because that would just be funny. But it would be, oh my gosh, mind-blowing if that had happened beforehand. There's also there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that's just like, and, and also The Simpsons has been around for so long that, of course, th- there's going to be some coincidences, and not everything is going to be, like, 
exactly because he's a time traveler, but there are quite a few things that are just like almost almost too good to be true. true. Yeah, I was going to say they're harmonies. Like I was talking about in my book. Yeah, let's move back on to um our favorite things. So, not that this has any structure in this episode, but not really. my next favorite thing that I'd like to talk about is Final Fantasy VII. Whoa, really? <laughs> yeah, the original Final Fantasy VII and the remake. I think both are amazing games. Um, and I think that we were talking about nostalgia. The remake does a really good job of playing on that nostalgia. So do you know anything about Final Fantasy VII? Hit me. Here we go. i got to come up with a synopsis on the spot. Synopsis on the spot, sis. You got to... You got to grab me, you got to pull me in. Got to pull you in. So a mercenary named Cloud Strife takes a job for an eco-terrorist group trying to save the world from being destroyed by the abundant use of a type of energy called Mako. Uh, In doing so, he gets tangled up with old friends and new friends alike uh, in an effort to save the world from its imminent destruction. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was off the cuff. Yeah, uh, those, I can tell you because you can't see him. That was literally out of his brain. That was really good. Yeah, it's also just a good game. So that's, that's part true. of it. Got a good story. And, and that didn't even touch on any of the actual story. So it's great if you guys <laughs> haven't. <laughs> that's literally like, I'm not kidding. It's a PS1 game originally. Really? And so the way that PS, the PS1 was revolutionary because it had the ability to um, open the disc sort of track, keep the game running, uh, and switch discs. So you could play, uh, you could st- you could have a bigger games on these sets of discs. And so it was a set of, I believe it was a three or four disc set of uh, games. And so they would store, each disc is, is a pretty much like one big arc. And then the next one is, is the next piece and so on and so forth. And uh, I remember playing the emulation on the PS3 before it was sort of remastered for the PS4 and Switch and stuff. And you would have to go in and manually like go into the homepage and switch the... It's considered probably one of the best games in existence, like story-wise, but it's also one of like the buggiest games in existence. Aww. The original. When okay. they when they've come back, they've come back and remastered it and it, you know, it runs fine, but there's a lot of instances of uh it was just it was rushed. It was a bit of a rushed production, right? And uh actually the the art director, one of the art directors I mentioned, um, was became the director of Kingdom Hearts. So he sort of springboarded off of Final Fantasy Seven towards, you know, he kept doing Final Fantasy work, but then he also was able to do Kingdom Hearts. So this was another great reason for Final Fantasy Seven to exist was because it gave my number one favorite game series. I didn't, you know, I didn't really come up with a, with a whole lot because this was sort of, you know, we rushed this episode a little bit, but... Don't let them know that. I'm not going to keep that in the podcast. You guys didn't hear anything about rushing. We didn't rush anything. We planned weeks ahead. Yeah. Uh, we already know what we're going to do three weeks from now. Yeah. Put this episode out. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually five weeks from now. So, all right. Well, let me continue with my thing. So like I said, Final Fantasy games, like classic Final Fantasy games are turn-based. So what happens is you're walking around the world and then you suddenly, like, uh, it's like a random encounter type of game. So you'll be walking around the map and then your character will stop, uh, a little transition screen will play and then 
it'll turn into battle mode and you'll and you'll fight these enemies in battle mode and then you'll go back to walking around and exploring the map but the way that final fantasy 7 did things differently was because this was sort of this was the first final fantasy game to have three-dimensional graphics so the world is 3d polygon so the, the the characters themselves in the real world that you're that you're walking around in are very low poly right but in the battle mode they're higher poly and their animations uh are what make the game feel so engaging and so action-packed for having such a a slow you could say turn combat based style so you can play the game turn combat either it's called active mode or wait mode so wait mode means that that the enemies will wait for you to attack before they attack so it's, it's actually turn based right active mode means the way the game works is you've got this time limit meter so as the time bar fills up then your character can move and do your action so the enemies have those too and if you just sit there and do nothing the enemies can attack and then refill their time bar and attack again without you having gone at all so it's more of a it's closer to a live back and forth you know style of game before they had the ability to actually make that possible so that's one reason why it feels so alive even though it's a, a slower style game on top of that is because of the plethora of animations that the characters have and the variety of the characters so there is eight, i believe there's eight playable characters in total um you can have three in your party at a time but each of those characters has uh eight or nine original special moves right they're called limit breaks they're super powerful moves that you can use once you've taken a bunch of damage and they all look super cool like one character can literally call down um rockets from his airship that come down and shoot you another character the main character can use his giant sword that is the size of him and then slice it and then cause a beam to come out of it and charge it with energy and it's super cool stuff like that plus the fact that you can summon these uh like basically gods and deities to attack your enemies for you and the animations for that are really interesting uh sort of the last thing that i, I guess i want to say about it is that the world itself is just it feels so full of life and original because in every single town there's people just living their lives and you can talk to them and they have things to say and they have like but it's not necessarily related to you it's related to them and their world they did a really good job of, of making the world feel like a real life world mm -hmm. and to the sense that that like the world feels alive in itself that there's things that are going on outside of you playing the game of yeah. your storyline how in the real world when you have a, a crisis when you realize that everybody's living their own separate lives you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When you realize that everybody has their own thoughts, their own dreams and aspirations, and you will never know what they're doing, but they're on their own path, and they just have as complex lives as you. Anyways, I, I'm assuming that's what it's it's like, but in a video game format. Yeah, it's basically that, because they've all got their own lives, they've all got their own things going on, and you can go up and interact with them, and it's not necessarily fleshed out, per se, but the fact that, they have that makes the game feel like a real world. Plus, really open as well. Yeah, and it's and it's open. All Final Fantasy games are open world, meaning you can travel wherever you want, whenever you want, at um, whatever time you'd like. I don't get those. I was having a conversation, but I don't get how you make a game like that. I just can't wrap my mind 
How do you where they can go anywhere they want at any time? Yeah. Like what? I want to know the technology behind it. How do you? That's so vast. I just want to understand. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty great. I mean, the story itself is driven pretty li- pretty linearly. Yeah. So you you can um, just you know go straight forward and not pay attention to any of the little side stuff. Of course. But the you have the ability to go back and look at old places that you've been or, or new places that you that you haven't been to, and it's just it's great. And there's really in depth systems of like there's a there's uh, this place called the Golden Saucer, which is like this huge. It's like the Las Vegas of this world, and there's uh, racing. You can do you can bet on racing these like ostrich-like creatures that are called Jokobo, which is like a cross between an ostrich and like a uh, a horse. So they ride them like horses, but they're just big birds. And you can you can bet on that. You can join in. Uh, there's a scene where you go on a date with one of the characters, and you can go on a date with any one of the characters in the game if you play your cards right. That's cool. But it's only on very specific, very, very specific things. So generally, you'll go on a date with one of the two female characters who are the love interests, uh-huh. right? But you can go on dates with, like, the the big beefy guy with a gun for an arm. You can, And it's not like a date, but, like, it's the date scene. You're just with that character. And so it's really... It's just fleshed out. And, it, and it's yeah. full of life, And even though it is quite rushed. Like, they still planned out yeah this that scene you know, that's the game that contains sephiroth mm-hmm. he's the big bad um and if you have you do you know what happens in the game have you ever heard anything about this game at I all i haven't heard anything so there's a, a major character dies uh <laughs> about midway Spoilers. i'm not gonna say who okay but a major character dies about midway through the first half of the game so about a quarter of the way into the game about a third into the game um and it's considered one of the most one of the one of the biggest twists in video gaming history. Wow! It is uh, monumental, and they didn't decide that that character was going to die until a couple months before they sent the game out. So in that, there is a actually code for that character to continue interacting with the party past that point in the game. Oh, and so if you okay. like hack it and get into it, um, you can. It, there's still things that you can do with Aww, that character. That makes me sad thinking people who really like that character just going in and changing the code or whatever so that they can just keep going along on the journey. Mm-hmm. That makes me sad. Well, the character's really useful too. Oh, okay. The character's like your healer in the in the party. Boilers? Yeah, well, I mean, everyone else knows what happens in the game. You're just the one person that doesn't. Well, then just tell me because I'm never going to play it. The character is the the the... the Love interest from the beginning named Aerith. Oh, okay. I have one more that I'm just going to touch on, and then you can mm-hmm. do the rest of yours. Just Hollow Knight. Okay. Talked about it a bit. Um, I think multiple times. Multiple times. And, but, you know, this is one of my favorite games. All of these games that I'm talking about, I have 100% complete. Like, I've literally done everything you can do. Complete. Completed. Completed. Um, yeah, so it's a Metroidvania-style game. It is... Let's go with the synopsis. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, off the top of the head. Off the top of the head. Off the top of the head. Uh, a lone bug knight is dropped into the midst of a uh, a wrecked kingdom um, and attempts to find 
a cure for a plague being spread around the once great kingdom. I got the story. Yeah. But it's it wasn't, not, uh, wasn't a great one, not no. like the last one, but you got the story. Yeah, well, the problem is that the story is very also convoluted, mm-hmm. so it's it's mostly lore-based, so a lot of the the game is just you walk. It's a Metroidvania game, which means uh, it's styled after the classic games of Metroid and Castlevania where you traverse the worlds and um, there's a whole bunch of enemies and you're you know backtracking a lot, And but the all of the characters are hand-animated, which I found out recently. Um, it's by Team Cherry. It's just a team of three dudes. Um, yeah, three dudes. Ari Gibson, who is the art designer. William Pellin, who is the enemy and boss designer. And then David Kazi, who's the tech designer. And it's just those three guys made the entire game. It's great. Um, it is deeply based in like exploration, which is something that I really enjoy. Um, it's also got a plethora of secrets and secret bosses that, and the game is designed to be extremely difficult. Um, and it's sort of quote souls like, which is meaning it's based after, not based after, but it's similar to the style of the game's dark souls in that if you die, you lose all of your money and all of your progress and you have to go and retrieve that. And so it's considered souls like, but it's, you know, that's a genre defined by the dark souls games. Um, and it's just an interesting aesthetic. You, you're a bug and you're stuck. You're not stuck. You're you're exploring all these, you know, different, I wouldn't say worlds, but these different sort of areas. Um, and they're all based around different kinds of bugs and, you know, different parts of bugs. There's a fungus world. You have to deal with all these fungi and these weird bugs covered in fungi. It's fun. It's a great game. Um, I really enjoyed it. I've I've beaten it twice. Uh, yeah, that's 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 all my favorite things at, at all. Is the bug ever snug in a rug? You really dug for that one. Have you you never heard that saying? No. A bug snug in a rug. I've heard that saying, and then I followed it up with another rhyme that you did not appreciate. What did you say? Really dug for that one. Oh, no, I didn't get it. Wow, you know that just shows how smart you are. Not the brightest. <laughs> <laughs> not right now. Do you want me to jump into my last thing? Yeah. Did you only have two things? I only had two things. What a loser. Only had two well, things. Well, I just mean, this is how it always goes. I start and you just steamroll through the middle and then it's my turn at the end. I'm like, well, I'll briefly touch on one last thing. <laughs> you don't let me get through everything. I'm sorry. I get so caught up in You get excited. Talking. It's okay. I get excited. I'm an excited person. Please let us know if this format confuses anybody. Because, I mean, this format is fine, but if people don't like it, we'll we'll change it. Yeah, no. Does anyone want us to not do what we do? Please give us constructive uh, criticism. Or just criticism. I mean, I, I can't handle people yelling at me. <laughs> as long as you don't yell at Randy, it's just fine. Just don't yell at me. I want to talk about, the last thing I want to talk about is um, Mandalorian. Ooh. Have you been watching it? Do I haven't you... watched the newest season. Aww. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not watching the newest season, but I have watched the first season. Okay, great. So you you know about it at least. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just something, I, I picked things to talk about that I've recently been enjoying 
not uh, not so much what you had said about uh, nostalgia and those kinds of things. If we did want to get into that, uh, as mentioned previously, I really like Hercules. It's not accurate at all to the actual Greek uh, mythology, but it's a great story. And I think it's it's a great story for those who want to see women empowerment way before like the movies Moana and Frozen came out. Because Meg, uh, the female character in Hercules, she does the end give her life to to save him, which I think is really underappreciated in the Disney community. Like that was that movie came out in what nineteen ninety three. I think I got that right. And I think she's so under. She's such a badass. Like she doesn't take shit from anybody, and nobody like she's not classified as a Disney princess, obviously because she's too. Well, she's not a. Which princess Disney princess is not, not a, a princess. princess. Oh shit! But there's some other kind of criteria that there is to become. There has to be one. I know because I've seen evidence of a criteria that you have to have to be a Disney princess. You have to like sing songs. You have to have uh, an animal uh, companion. I do. You, Would you actually... say Jane from Tarzan is a Disney princess? Does she have an animal companion? No. No. So I wouldn't say she is. Does Meg have an animal companion? No. So I wouldn't say she is. Sorry to break down your argument. Did I? Uh, I've already blacked out of what I've said. Did I say that she was a princess? You said she that she should have been. She should have been a princess. They, she's a goddess. She's not a goddess. <laughs> she is a goddess. In our term of a goddess. She's not really a goddess like in the movie or whatever, but she's a goddess to me. She's just such a badass, and she goes by... Her own flow, and she gives her life for this man, and it's unappreciated. <laughs> I just want to be appreciated. <laughs> Do you no. know that TikTok? No. I don't know. I don't know social things. And you're saying that all my things were nostalgic. I would like to correct you on that. I didn't play Final Fantasy VII and actually beat it until this year. Oh, okay. Um. But it was based on nostalgia. It was kind of because I played it when I was in high school. So that's nostalgia. Well, did you play any of the other Final Fantasy games? No, that was oh, really the first okay. one that I had played in high school. Um, and then Kingdom Hearts, would have, uh, yeah, that would be a nostalgia one. But I did recently go back and, and play them all through again. Okay. Um, and then Hollow Knight only came out like three years ago. So like, I just wanted to correct you because you were wrong. And I wanted to be make sure that you knew you were wrong and that I was right. Are you crying yet? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, getting back to The Mandalorian, I've only seen up to the fifth episode at this point, and by the time this episode goes up, all of the episodes will be out. So apologize if I say um, some things that are incorrect. I've only watched up to the fifth episode. But I just want to talk about it uh, overall. I think it's such a great addition to the Star Wars universe. I think especially at this time when we've had the, I don't even know what to call them, the New Age the trilogy that's come out within the past couple of years. Yeah, the sequel trilogy. This, yeah, the sequel trilogy. And I feel like a lot of people in the community didn't like it. I watched Star Wars when I was in high school. It was the first time that I watched it. I know it's very late in life, or people might disagree with that. Um, I actually liked the the sequels, but I know not everybody does. And you're giving me a face. You didn't like them. And I just thought that, let me say my, the thing, the reason that I like them is because I think they tie in really well with the other, with the older ones. And that's something that I really appreciate in films when they draw on substance and things 
themes from older films. And I get it's easier when you're making a sequel to look back and pull those things out. It's more impressive when it's done with prequels, I think. But that's just my opinion. I personally don't like it. I, I was okay with The Force Awakens. Okay. Um, I, I think that it was just basically a, a repeat of A New Hope. It was pretty much the same plot almost bit for bit. Okay. Um, then I think that, that, what is it, the next one? The Last Jedi? Is that one? Is that, that, that's that one. The Last Jedi. I think that one sucks. Okay. Really bad. And I think the choreography in that one is terrible. Oh, yeah. Um, Obviously. I think that, uh, and then in The Rise of Skywalker, I think that's the last one, didn't like it that much. I think that that one was better what happened is the first one came out with one director and then they tossed him for the second movie. And so a new director came in, rewrote the screenwriting, the screenplay and totally derailed what the original guy was trying to do. And then the third one comes around and the original director comes back and um, then he's trying to retcon basically whatever happened in the previous movie in an attempt to bring it back to what he was trying to do. So he threw a whole bunch of information at us in the beginning of just like, oh, these are explanations for things that, that, that I want that I wanted to tell you, but I didn't have time to tell you. So he said, here's just the things that they are. And then finished it. And it was okay. It didn't blow me away or anything. But So I will say this. I did like them, but I think out of all of them, I liked um, The Rise of Scott Skywalker the most. I can't tell you why. <laughs> no. Just a gut feeling. Just a gut feeling. Uh, something that I do to, and maybe it's not the, the best thing to do, well, I think it is, uh, to judge uh, whether a movie is good or not, especially when it comes to these uh, longer blockbuster movies, is it makes you forget about reality. For the time being. So if I'm sitting there and I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking, God, there's another hour of this or God, there's another like we just started. We're not even halfway through. It's not good a movie. And in my opinion, I don't think it is. I think when the film can really engage the audience and really pull you in and you become engrossed in the story and what's going on and you forget about all of your other responsibilities, other things you have to do during the day and forget about time in general it, it signifies a, a better, a well-made film. Um, you can take this saying that um, time flies when you're having fun, but time's not fun when you're having flies. People say that? Did you come up with that? No, that's a, that's a shout-out to my high school math teacher. He said that all the time, and it made me really happy to say it right now. Oh. <laughs> he would say that all the time whenever somebody in his class would be like, "Times, uh, what is it? time flies when you're having fun, and then he'd, no matter what was happening, he'd chime in and be like, but time's not fun when you're having flies. What does it mean? It's just the opposite. It's just time flies when you're having fun. Well, no, I... I... But what do you mean? What does it mean? I understand the logistics of it, but what does it mean to be having flies? To be like eating flies is not fun. You got me there. I mean, that's how I always took it. <laughs> Time's not fun when you're having flies. When you're having, like, you have dinner, having flies, like you eat dinner. I don't know. Back to the Mandalorian. I just, this, I think this is something that all fans can agree alike that it's a really good addition to the Star Wars universe. So I just wanted to, to talk about the, the logistics of it for a minute or 
the actual production of it. I just want to first say that it's created by Jean Favreau. Um, he's incredible, and I want to be his best friend. <laughs> uh, John Favreau, please uh, come on our podcast. Thank you. Please come on our podcast. John Favreau or bust. <laughs> so first thing I want to say is the music for The Mandalorian is absolutely incredible. So I heard, fact check me if I'm wrong, everybody out there, and let me know, that the theme for The Mandalorian was made last minute. So the man who was in charge of coming up with the theme song had nothing prepared. He had little bits and pieces of it, but generally nothing prepared for the the meeting where he was supposed to pitch it. Last minute comes up with the theme, a bunch of random, not random, but he comes up with it last minute. He does the, I can't even think of what the instruments are. Yeah, he does just each individual, each individual piece and then he puts it together I want to say within like two hours and then pitches it and that's what they go with. I think that's incredible. I think it's, I, I've always liked the theme. One, one thing that you need to have in a theme is that it needs to be memorable. Yeah. And it needs to like fit the theme of the show. And, and I think the Mandalorian theme does a great job of doing that. It also, it feels, I want it has a Western vibe. It does. And the, and you know, the Mandalorian in it's general. It's very like Western. He's very on like the edge of society between doing right and wrong. he is he's not a vigilante but he's a bounty hunter yes and so he's he's yeah he's he's an outlaw he's on the edge of what they would consider civilization he's hopping around from place to place helping people he thinks is good or just doing what he can to make money well i think that sounds very western star wars itself is is shot very western the original star wars is is i would say shot in a western style yeah yeah I was just going over some scenes in my head. I would agree with that. You know, just the the wide open plane shots, mm-hmm. um, especially A New Hope, the original Star Wars episode four. Um, There's it's it's. I feel like a what really makes a western is a lone person, like yeah. on the edge of society. I think a lone that's, person on the edge of society. Love the music though. Even throughout the the episodes, it's just it it's so epic. And I don't know how to describe it perfectly, but it just makes the world and everything that's happening feel so real and feel just incredible. He can literally be doing... Mando is amazing. Just, I mean, that's the proper term for him. That's what I call him, is just Mando. That's what they call him in the film. I think so. Why can't I remember? Because you're about to pass out. Yeah. I need more Gatorade, but it's okay. But he's, it just anything he does, and they could just put a little bit of dramatic music behind it, and it'd be the most epic thing in the world. It's great. It's great. And one thing that The Mandalorian does well, that Jon Favreau did purposefully and really well, was play on that nostalgia of the of the original Star Wars. There's a lot of wipe cuts, which is a very yeah. Star Wars thing. Um, it's... It's it's shot in the same style. It's, they have the yeah. same kind of camera movements and things like that. I want to. Uh, I don't know if the I should. The lighting say this. as well is very. Oh, I gotta t- I gotta say it. Go ahead. I gotta say it, and maybe I'll go more depth on it later, in a different episode. But the because we're pretty deep into this one, but and it's gonna take me a while to talk. About I'll wrap it up, but you say yep. what you want to say. I. So they shot the Mandalorian on a virtual set. You know that? 
So when they shot The Mandalorian, they have a soundstage, right? Okay. And in that soundstage, they have like 40 LCD screens stacked up against each other. And on it is running Unreal Engine live time. They've created a program. That's right. I have heard this. Yes. They've created a program that simulates any environment that you could want. You yeah. can have the you can have the golden hours all day long. The golden hours are are are, are is is about an hour and a half, two hours while the sun is setting when you get that nice golden, red, purple, those sunset colors. Really hard to get scenes with those sunset colors naturally because the sun is only setting for a certain amount of time. But in this soundstage, I don't remember what they called it. I think they called it like just the box or something. They can film whatever environment they want, whenever they want, and it, it real time figures out where the camera is looking and sets the screen to look a certain way there. You know, like it fixes the lighting for that exact spot. It's great. I'll go in more depth and research more about it, and then we can talk about it later. I really, I think it's the coolest thing. I do thing. remember that. I do remember somebody telling me about that, and that's really incredible. Technology is so advanced. It is. The last thing that I want to say, just wrapping it up really quickly, is talking about the acting. The, the actor that plays uh, the Mandalorian is Pedro Pascal. And it's just amazing what you can do when you can't see somebody's face. The amount of body language that he has to use, it just, it just in the way he stands. Because, I mean, the most you see him moving would be, I guess, his walk and when he's fighting. But even just in the way he stands... Sometimes, like you were talking about with character design, sometimes leaning a specific way or standing very sturdy, you can get his emotion. And it's not just through his body language, which is incredible. It's also through the camera movements, obviously. So when there are extreme close-ups, you know that he's deep in thought or he's really contemplating something. When there's extreme wide shots, he feels alone or disconnected from the world. All of that plays into showing the emotion of him, which I think is all done incredibly well since you don't see his face. I know that at the end of the last of the first season, for maybe 10 seconds, uh, spoilers, he does take off his helmet and you do get to see his face. But other than that, the rest of the season, he has his helmet on. In season two, all I've seen so far, he has his helmet on the entire time. And it's just, I'm always in shock when... You just because you feel bad for him or you feel for him, you're excited for him, you're excited with him, and all of these things. You're just looking at a helmet, but I swear when you look at it, it looks like it's changed depending on his emotion. And that's just that all goes to the director and the way it's shot and the way that he's acting. Mm -hmm. Great, it's a great show! Great show. I don't know how to end it because this entire thing has really just been a recommendation. recommendation. So let's just pick our favorite out of the recommendation or the our favorite out of the ones, the ones that we want people to go play. Okay. So I'll start. I, I think you guys should play, if not the original Final Fantasy VII, y'all should go play the Final Fantasy VII remake, which is um, basically the first part of Final Fantasy VII, but told in, on a much grander scale and in a much more approachable scale than, say, if you don't like games that are 
classic turn-based combat or if you want like a if you don't like old games in general which if you don't like who the heck are you go play old games they're great um but yeah so final fantasy 7 be my recommendation for this week i'm actually going to recommend the book that i mentioned uh, 112263 by stephen king it's a very long book and i get that not everybody out there is a reader so i will tell you this it is adapted to film or to uh, television. If you have a Hulu subscription, you can watch uh, the adaptation of Stephen King's uh, 112263 into a short uh, mini drama series, which is also really good. Obviously, it takes a lot out of the book because it's hard to put all of the the detail that is in the book and it's it's also a different genre so you have to like we've been discussing before you have to make the artwork fit into the it's not a different genre it's a different medium you have to make the art fit into the medium that you're watching or reading it in so it is a bit different but it's still really good and so if you love time travel if you love anything to do with the jfk assassination and conspiracy theories definitely go give it a watch or give it a read yeah all right well Thanks for joining us on this intellectual journey. Um, hope you guys will come back for, for, for more. Bye. Media for the Intellectually Impoverished is produced by Trey Taylor Smith and Miranda Randy Zapes. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at MFTII Podcast or email us at MFTII Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.